Come on, could you help me welcome all of those who are joining us online, live on Facebook, through all the channels that BoxCast help us welcome. We love you guys. And now make even a louder noise. Make sure that they can hear us. For all of our brothers and sisters at the Eunice Correctional Facility, come on, make some noise. Let them know that we appreciate them. We love you guys, and we're honored to be a part of your lives. We believe in God for some incredible testimonies because of the access to that ministry. Um, right now, if you are in the fifth through the eighth grade, we have a service plan just for you. We call it Next Gen uh, because we believe in the fact that you are the next generation. So we're going to dismiss you right now. If you are in the fifth through the eighth grade, middle school age, we're going to send you guys to the student center. We've got some leaders going back there. Pastor Weston's going back there to teach today. Come on, give it up for all these Next generation leaders that are walking out of here, world changers, world winners this morning. We are in a series called Win Your World. This series is going to take us into Easter next Sunday. Can you believe that Easter is next Sunday already? It comes around every year so quickly. Um, this year, we decided to do something with Easter that we didn't do. We are believing God um, for the, the best attended Sunday of, of our existence so far uh, since we've been here at New Hope with the staff that we have. And so in order to facilitate that, we wanted to make room and we will have one service on Saturday night at five o'clock. So last year we noticed that we had several people that uh, just wanted to honor their family, their heritage, their mother, grandmother, father, grandfather, whatever it was, maybe going to another church on Sunday morning, and uh, we're for that. We're okay with that. We believe that there's other churches with other people that we will all meet together in heaven together one day, and so we may as well share a little bit of heaven here and, and, and attend services together. So if you need to go somewhere else next Easter Sunday because you have a family member that is impressing you to do so, then, then do that on this condition, that they come with you on Saturday night at five o'clock to your church and come to that service. So you can come to that and bring them with you, and then you can go with them on Sunday morning if they have another service that they'd like for you to attend. Um, yesterday, uh, I, don't, I don't sit down often, and uh, I think I surprised some people that I actually stayed sitting in the first service. I don't think there were some people didn't think I could do it, didn't think I would do it. Um, but yesterday, um, someone had the incredible idea to develop a small group uh, with the uh, intention of playing basketball. And so, um, you know, mid-30s is, is not as good at basketball as early 20s thought he was. And so yesterday, mid-30s physically met early 20s mentally and reminded him that he is not who he formerly thought he was. Um, and what's even funnier, Pastor John, you may have not even noticed, but, but he, he's counting for us right now, but he ran into a, a rebar wire, that the bar that holds the columns at the Southwest Center. I, he was doing some sort of white chocolate move going into the lane, okay? And he came over the top and, and something happened and that... <laughs> That cord took him out, man, and I thought it was hilarious, but I kept it to myself because I knew that I would have my own accident. I think the only individuals that survived that day were all of those under 30. I think 30 and over limped away from yesterday's small group uh, predominantly, but we have small groups, and you should attend. 
And, uh, and also, I just believe that God is speaking to people this morning. I believe that God is saying things to you this morning. Um, I had Coach Andrew Pont speak a word to me, and, uh, and it was just one word, but the Lord is speaking to him, and he's speaking healing. I believe that healing is happening in the lives of people and in homes, and if that's you, then let that be confirmation for you. We're talking about winning your world, but how many of you understand that before you can win your world, you need to win your house? You need to win your spouse. You need to win your babies. You need to win your surroundings. And I'm telling you that healing is coming. And you can win your world and it can start in your home. We want to equip you. We want to empower you. If you've been married, if you're getting married, if you are married, if you want to be married, sign up and come next week. We're going to all be together in the sanctuary. Not next week, but two weeks from now. Our marriage conference, Better Together. Incredible principles. And I know Philip and Destiny D's are going to share their heart and their house habits and some things that they don't only do that make them uh, successful relationally, but they, that make them successful spiritually, okay? So don't come just because your spouse isn't here or your spouse can't come. And if you need an excuse to come, you just want to hear the principles, but you're worried about whether you have a significant other or not, you call the office and we will find somewhere for you to serve. You can come and serve and listen to the principles anyway and spend a, a weekend with us. Nobody else lives in your world. Nobody else has the influence with the people that you have. Did you know that there are people in, in this community, in your life, your lives, that we will never meet if you don't bring them, that we will never be able to minister to if you don't minister first? Come on, somebody. We as a church will never be able to minister to them if you do not minister to them first. There are people that we know were in this church at one point or have come through this church and for whatever reason have, have gone back to other things or have gone to other places. And it would mean a lot if we called them. But we just miss some of them. We don't know them like you know them. How much more impactful would it be if you made that phone call to them? And then instead of calling our office and telling us that we need to call them, you call our office and say, hey, I called this person and it would be good, I think, for them to hear from you as a follow-up. And then if you can find so how many of you know that if seven people call you in the same week, you may just realize that God's trying to call you back to something. But seven people can't just be strategically called. Some people have to be spiritually called. And when you hear the voice of God and you know that somebody's missing, call them. They're in your world. God's vision for Eunice, Louisiana and the surrounding areas is so big that it will only come to pass if everyone takes ownership of it and does their part. I believe that what God wants to do for His kingdom in this community and in this area is so big that it will only happen when the church becomes the church and everybody takes the initiative to operate and take ownership and do their part. God puts people in my path for me to win. God puts people in your path so that you can win them, so that you can minister to them, so that you can pray with them, so that you can share the life-giving words of the gospel over their situation. 
1 John chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, we see what it looks like to win your world. Verse 5, those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. Listen, for every truth in Scripture, the antithesis is true as well. The opposite is also true. So those who do not obey God's word truly show how completely or incompletely they love him or how completely they do not love him. So if you wonder where your love for God stands within yourself, then you can understand that it will be shown in your lifestyle. This is how we know we are living in him. So some of you are going to have to open your Bibles and, uh, and your iPads and telephones and Androids and read this for yourselves because we just decided to cut that off the screen and uh, stop spoiling you, okay? So you bring the Bible to church and you'll be able to read out of it or open that app on your phone, version app, and the Bible will come up. Verse six, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So how did Jesus live his life? Well, if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you at some point this week to go back. Um, you can listen to it several different ways, but we have podcasts on our website. All you got to do is take, you can take that with you and listen to it anywhere. We went over uh, the scriptural definition of how Jesus uh, lived his life, what he did, why he did it, and how he did it. And this was the sentence that we came up with. We're going to spoil you again, and we're going to help you take notes this is why Jesus came. It's what he came to do, and it's how he did it. Jesus seeks to bring life to those that were lost. A biblical definition of why Jesus came, what he came to do, and how he came to do it. Jesus seeks to bring life to those that were lost. And the way that he did that was by serving and giving his life. The scripture says, as a ransom for many. We'll talk about that more next week. He did that by serving and giving his life. His desire for me is very simple. His desire for Chris outside of my position in the pulpit as a pastor. See, God's call for me as a pastor began with me as a person. And when I realized my call as a person, he showed me my position as a pastor some of you are called to more than you currently operate in, but it won't be until you learn how to be obedient in the small things that he begins to use you in the bigger ways. My personal call, what I told my girlfriend in February of 2006, who is now my bride, come on somebody, and the, and the, the mama of three incredible little babies most of the time. What he told me, for all of those who have kids, you're waving stuff at me. What he told me in February 2006 to tell her was, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's all. If I don't get anything else right, I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus' greatest desire for me can be summed up in four words. It's a mandate. It's the Christian mantra. Follow him and serve others. That is the first and the second greatest commandment, wrapped up into four words with a conjunction. Follow him and serve others. Man, I love the celebrations. We have celebrations every Monday. 
Um, I'm the guy that likes meetings, I know, right? I, 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 I enjoy them. Our board really wishes that I didn't enjoy meetings as much as I do. We meet on Thursday nights once a month, and uh, we never get out in the timely fashion that most of them probably wish that we would. Our staff probably feels the same way on Monday afternoons. But man, we come in there and we celebrate what God is doing in the lives of people. Not just in the sanctuary on Sunday, not just the numbers, um, but which I'm interested in numbers because every number represents a spirit that represents a circle of influence. So every time I talk about one person, I'm actually talking about 100. So if we had 400 people a couple of weeks ago, I'm actually talking about approximately 4,000 people that the kingdom of God is being influenced with and over. So yeah, I care about that. We celebrate those things. I love when I get a text message or a Facebook message, or we get an email, and, and you affirm, or someone confirms with, with something that happened in their lives that week because of something that was going on in the church. Or even better, when they took what they heard and applied it to their lives, and they saw God make a difference through them. The greatest joy that you will ever have as a believer is not receiving salvation. The greatest joy that you will ever have as a believer is when you see somebody else receive salvation and begin to share that salvation with more people and you know in your heart of hearts that if you wouldn't have been obedient, then neither would they. But because you did, you operated and took the, the, the most advantage of the opportunity that was presented to you and they take it further than you could have ever asked thought, or imagined it going. That's how this thing works. I get to see things that I never even considered. And I didn't tell our in-house pastor, Blaine Francois, this message. He came up and shared that scripture in Ephesians because there's a divine echo happening in God's house today. We get to see things when you will follow Jesus and serve others. You begin to see things and be fulfilled by things that you had never, ever even considered being fulfilled by before. How many of you remember those, uh, those old optical illusions? They're like a, the stereogram. Uh, I have like a warm-up for you. So optical illusion. Pastor Weston helped me find some of these this morning. Just stare at that for a second. Yeah. Okay, if you had breakfast already, look away because we don't want to see it. Because that's, man, that will, man, I can't look at that thing. Seriously, that gives me anxiety. All right, turn the next one. This is a stereogram, okay? So apparently if you stereo at this long enough, your eyes will cross and apparently you begin to see an image that's actually in that picture. And in that picture, whether you can see it or not, is a face on one side and then a, a side profile with a neck on the other side. I looked at it in my office. I did the thing. You know, you take the thing and you put your nose up to it like this and then you ease it away and your eyes are crossed and you're looking like this and like, don't you see it? You don't see the thing? It's a face and a neck thing right there. You say, I used to have those in the, I love the Shreveport Times used to print these. Once a week, they would print the funnies in color. And I didn't like to read, but I love to look at pictures. Come on, somebody, just shout me down. Uh, I, I would find that, just that one stereogram in the paper that weekend, and I would look at it, and we would do the deal. And, but before I could ever see it, I was like a new believer. I would pretend that I had it all together. Come on, somebody. I would look at that picture, and what I would do is I would listen to what everybody else saw, and then I would just say what they saw 
and I would pretend. Like, and then I would mess with other people. Come on, man, you know what to do. Just stick your nose up to it and then slowly move it away. Your eyes are going to cross. You're going to see the, the face thing with a neck. I was like, really? Where is it? It's right there in the picture. Just look at it. You'll see it. You'll get it right. If you just listen to me, I can tell you how to see what you're supposed to see. I can tell you how to do what you're supposed to do. I know I hadn't been doing it very long, but I get it. I understand it. And we'll cover it up and we'll make it up. I got one more just because it's kind of cool. And there really is a face in that thing, by the way. That's what you were supposed to see in that other picture. I'm just kidding. That's not true. <laughs> well, that would have been like, whoa, I was way off. Okay. No, I just, I just thought that was cool. You can see Jesus on the cross there, or maybe you see a face, and then there's supposed to be clouds or maybe an all-seeing eye. There's like multiple faces and images there. Um, and then there's, I didn't notice this in first service. Did you guys see? There's like a little devil thing in the blue on the bottom right. Can you guys see that? It's like a weird little, like that girl that came out of the mirror on that commercial face. Um, but she is in her proper place under Jesus. Uh, I'm going to have to look closer at that and figure out what that is. I guess that's like the hill of Golgotha that Jesus has shed his blood over. Um, I don't have any tattoos, and it's not because I think they're like sinful and you're going to hell if you have one. I just... Um, I just never got one uh, because my mother would have either have had a heart attack or given me one. And so I just chose, I, seriously, y'all, I, I did like a half mohawk one time. I was 21 years old, 210 pounds, I had about 7% body fat. That was a lifetime ago. Okay, so I had, had this little mohawk and I came in and my mom looked at me. She turned around, went in her room, shut the door and didn't talk to me for the rest of the weekend. I was like, if I get a tattoo, she's gonna cut my head off. I mean, it's just the thing. So I never did, but if I had one, man, that would be what I would go, that is cool. Listen, what I've been doing just in the last couple of minutes, and, and then even what I did as a child, is, is often what we do to other people. Whenever we see things that they don't see, instead of helping them to understand or helping them along in the journey, we expect for them to know where we've been and, and what we've experienced instead of being willing to walk with them there over again. Let me say that again. As believers, we can't expect people to just know what we believe, know how to behave, know what to do, know what we've experienced, know where we've been. We've got to be willing to walk with them in this life along the way and be an example, not an excuse. We'll come back to that. The old illusion, the old illusion is that ministry is reserved for only the qualified or the few. So the pastor and the leaders, the people that have been there for 20 years, those people should be doing the ministry. That's an old illusion, but it's actually a twisted illusion. I don't know what point, and this just hit me this past week, so it was one of those, I think this is worth putting on Facebook and seeing what somebody says moments. So I threw it up there just to see what would happen with it. I don't know at what point in history the church that Jesus died for and was raised again for thought that, that church was more about coming to a service than it was serving the community and the people that were around you. The, the illusion is that ministry is reserved for a few or for the called or for the ordained or the trained or the equipped. That is a, a perverted illusion that was twisted around from the New Testament church, but the actual truth 
truth, the restored illusion, the original illusion that we are supposed to know and believe is what we teach in Next Steps, that every member is a minister, that you can win your world, that people have been placed in your path for you to win them, for you to pray with them, for you to do life with them, for you to walk with them through the fire if you have to, because they don't know what you know. They haven't been where you've been. They haven't experienced what you've experienced. So you're going to go back to where they are and walk with them all the way to the place that God has for them. Every member is a minister. Before I ever became a pastor, as a person, I realized he won me so I could win my world. He won me so I could win the people that he has put in my path. And you may never sit in a pulpit with a microphone, but I'm telling you that you have people watching your life, listening to your words, put in your path for a purpose, and that purpose is for you to share what God has done in and through you with them. Growing up, I would get hung up on other people's testimony. I would, man, I would just listen. It was like the thing. If, if we had a revival, it was, it was somebody that was coming, and, and that dude had like tracks in his arms that never healed up. Man, he's got like face tattoos, and he went through some crazy crackhead dysfunction. I mean, it was just some messed up stuff. You remember what I was, you, I mean, we've heard those incredible testimonies of God's redemption and God's restoration. So I would listen to these guys and, and women that would share their testimony. Uh, and we're going to have one, uh, a lady that's going to, a girl that's going to come in and, and share her testimony of just some messed up dysfunctional stuff that she was exposed to um, for our women's lunch in May. Just a little plug there. And, and then we're going to have them share on Sunday morning. But but man, I would listen and I would be like, man, they, that is some, they were delivered from some just dysfunctional, abusive, addictive. Man, what a powerful testimony. And then I would think, man, that is, that is amazing. My story is weak sauce. Like, my testimony stinks. Do I even have one? Am I even saved? <laughs> but listen, let me ask you a question this morning. What's a greater testimony? that you were delivered from all types of dysfunction or that you were saved and set aside for such a time as this? Which one is greater than the other? And the answer is they are both a story of God's faithfulness and God's care and concern for His people. My story is that my great-grandfather sold his gravel truck and instead of building a business, which I don't think there's anything wrong with, he just didn't like the direction that that business was going. So he sold his half and he stopped going to bars and started going to church. Instead of knowing every woman in the community, he began to learn every word that God had written in the scripture. And my great granddaddy got saved in a little missionary Baptist church. And he sits over me today as part of the throne room of heaven in the grandstands of the Almighty going, look at my grandson. I knew I sold that truck for a reason. I knew that I gave my heart to you for a reason. I knew that you had something planned for my family. I didn't ever get to see it there, but I see it now. My great grand, my granddaddy is a man that would get up every morning 
for 40 years and drive to the other side of Shreveport from Minden, Louisiana and work and labor. And he's still to this day a hard worker and a laborer, but he passed down a legacy to me and to my children and my children's children that we can be saved and set aside. I don't want my babies to have to be delivered from dysfunction and abuse and addiction. I want my baby's testimony to be, I don't even remember when I started following Jesus. I just know that that's who we were. That's what we did. My daddy and my mama loved God. They loved one another and they lived it out on a daily basis. And all I know is Jesus and his will for my life. And I'm telling you today that if you don't know him, then you can know him because God doesn't love me any more than he loves you. And if he can keep me pure, he can make you pure. That's the message that I want my babies to share with other people. I don't know how I stayed seated through that. But if you're taking notes today, Jesus wants you to know three things. He wants you to know three things. Last week I told you that the enemy wants you to believe two things. Today I want, I think Jesus wants you to know three things as you consider winning your world. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can make a difference. You can make a difference. Um, not to just pray for God to send someone to your loved ones or to your friends. Not to just pray that God would send a laborer on his behalf. But that you would take up the unction of the prophet Isaiah and you would say, Lord, because you've saved me, here I am, send me. Send other people too, but let it be the word that you use me to plant, the word that you use me to water. If somebody else gets the credit of the harvest, let it be you because they followed my example of obedience and being sent to that person. You can make a difference. I want you to ask yourself this morning, as I asked, I asked myself, what's, what's my excuse? What's my excuse? And you see excuses all throughout Scripture. Go all the way back to Father Abraham. Had many sons, many sons. Okay, Father Abraham, his excuse was, man, I'm, I'm too, I told you I was a church kid, man. I was raised in that silly stuff. Abraham said, I'm, I'm too old, too old, God. Your promise can't come to pass through me. I'm, I'm too old. Moses, the deliverer. Moses said, Lord, I can't... Talk, God, you can't use me. Peter, Peter denied Jesus to a little girl. Like, there have been some times in my life when I didn't take the stand that I should have, okay? But it has never been to a little girl. There was never a point where a little girl's like, you don't, you know Jesus. I saw you at church. And I was like, I wasn't at church, you liar. Okay, and Peter's doing that with this little girl. He's like, I don't know him. She's like, yes, you did. I saw you walking with him. Y'all were outside together. And I don't know why, she's Jewish, but she has a country accent for some reason. So, I saw y'all. And he's like, no, it wasn't me. She's like, yes, it was. I saw you. And I thought when you were with the other guys that were with Jesus too. And he's like, no. And the third time he did it, he's like, oh, oh, oh. The rooster crows, right? I have no idea why people laughed at that in first service. I was like, I thought that was a pretty good chicken interpretation. Should I have done a turkey or something? I don't know. 
But listen, Peter, Simon Peter, the rock that the salvation was built on, right? The rock of faith that Jesus built the church denied him to a little girl. Paul, Paul was a murderer. Paul was like, it, Paul was the one that instructed the stones to be thrown. He's like, harder. You know, he's standing over the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And, 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 and then Paul is used to write half of the New Testament, or two-thirds of the New Testament. Apparently, Timothy had ulcers. I don't even know where I got that from, but I came across it, and I was like, well, it makes sense to me. I mean, I'd have been stressed out. If I'd have had to pastor the church in Corinth, like Cajuns, they ain't nothing compared to Corinth. I can handle Cajuns. God sends me to Corinth. I'm going to have all kinds of ulcers too. So no matter what your excuse is, I've got one more. Listen, and this guy went on to share the gospel. Y'all, Lazarus was dead. Dead. That brother was stone cold, four days stinking dead, okay? And yet God used him. Pastor Greg Laurie wrote this incredible curriculum. We went through it last summer, and, and we're going to do something else this summer we, on Sunday afternoons in the student center. I just, I, the Lord's kind of leading me in a couple of different directions. But Pastor Greg, in this series called Tell Someone, and he has a website. I would recommend you going and checking it out. If you didn't go through it with us, tellsomeone.org. It's about sharing your faith. He said, an excuse is just what we use when we don't want to do something. An excuse is just what we'd use when we do not want to do something. If you're looking for something, just a, a three-phrase line to write down, I want to talk to you about the idea of the surplus of salvation. I believe that there is a surplus of salvation inside of you. I use this example. Um, how many of you, you believe right now you could just confess, and I'm just going to help you wave your hands and just shake it out a little bit because it's, it's midday and you guys act like you're just a little tired. And so I can only imagine... Um, that by 5.30 on Monday, 5.30 tomorrow afternoon, how many of you are just reaching the peak of your performance? At 5.30 p.m. tomorrow afternoon, you're like, yeah, that is me. That is when my energy levels are at an all-time high for that day, 5.30 p.m. tomorrow. Okay, yeah, me either, okay? Except um, Pastor... I'll call him pastor. He's married to pastor. You are what you marry. Pastor Aaron Carter plays keyboards, married to Pastor Lydia. He's going to help me um, coach. Uh, very first practice, very first season. And I'm a little excited about it, but I'm a little bit more nervous. Um, he's going to help me coach Gabriel, my four-year-old almost, my almost four-year-old's t-ball team. And yeah, I know, right? I'm so glad. You can help too. Get you a t-shirt and come out there, girl. We will help you corral cats. That's what we are doing tomorrow. We are herding turkeys. It's tomorrow afternoon. Okay, tomorrow afternoon at 5.30. Listen, there is going to be a surplus of energy out there on that field. There will be four-year-olds running all over the place, and I have no idea what we are going to do with them or how we are going to harness all of that energy. Listen, 
just like they will be tomorrow afternoon as children who really just don't know that they shouldn't be. That's how we should be with our salvation, that there is a surplus inside of us that never grows stagnant, but only grows stronger because we don't keep it to ourselves. We don't hoard it. We go out and we share it with everybody because of what he's done in me, I can share with somebody else. Now, I get that it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves, that any man should boast. It's a gift of God. Praise God for Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I get it. And that's the essence of salvation. But you can't stop quoting the scripture at that verse. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that we are God's masterpiece. We are the illusion that God decided to put before the earth. And what they see in us is how they will define him. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can, we can do good things because he's already planned for them to happen. There's a surplus of salvation inside of me. There's a surplus of surrender inside of me. There's a surplus of servanthood, sacrifice. There's a surplus inside of me that I, I can't keep inside of, I have to share it. There's even a surplus, if necessary, of, of suffering. That I would know Christ and the power of his resurrection, praise God, and the glory of his suffering, if it so be. Because of who he is, I am. See, my works on the outside are just a reflection of his work on the inside. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians chapter 2. His work on the inside exhibits itself in an expression on the outside. And what I do is a reflection of who he is. I'm not on my own. He's with me, and I can, in Him, make a difference. Number two, you can make a difference. Number one, number two, someone is waiting on you. Someone is waiting on you. The empty chairs in the room, and I just wanted to bring one up here beside me because there's someone that is waiting on me to minister to do more than just preach, but to practice what I preach. There are empty chairs all around in the room, and I, I did this in, uh, in youth ministry, but I decided not to do it to grown people because it was kind of dangerous but hilarious. Um, I took these chairs, and I put them right as you come into our youth room. We had this shotgun room in Searcy, Arkansas, and I took four chairs at our welcome center against the wall, and I ran them out in front of that door within about two feet of when you came in the room. And you know teenagers, like, they don't walk into nothing, man. They come running into service. I'd blow the whistle, and they'd come running in, and man, those chairs got hammered, and it was hilarious. I mean, there was teenage leg going all over the place. There was screams and laughter and, and all kinds of stuff. And then some of them would reset them back up just to watch somebody else fall over them again. Um, I should have had a video camera. It was a great moment in ministry, it really was. But then some of them, they got smart. They heard, they realized, and so they would ease up to the door and they would look at the chair and they would just walk around it. 
And I just left the chairs there. I didn't say what they were for. I didn't, I didn't make mention of them. And about midway through my message, just like I do so often in here, that every seat represents a soul. And every soul represents a sphere of influence. And those chairs that you ran over on the way in here are people that you run over all week long. Those chairs that you walked around on the way in here represent someone that you have ignored and walked around all week long on your campus, in your life, in your workplace, possibly even people that you know and love that represent a lot of concern for you, but you're so focused on your way and your will and your desires and your success that you walk right around the people that God has put in your your path every day. Listen, you guys, everyone has not heard the gospel. Everyone has not experienced the gospel. There is still one. There is still someone to be reached. There's still someone wondering if there is a seat for them at the table. There's still someone wondering right now this morning, does anybody care? Is God alive? Is he even concerned for me? And barring an audible voice from the Lord, it's probable that he wants to use you to reach the someone that's wondering if anybody cares. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area. Why did Jesus have to do it? Why weren't his disciples doing it? He traveled through all the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues. Why did he have to go to church and teach people what they should have already known and been doing? announcing the good news about the kingdom. They already had it. Why weren't they sharing it? He healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. He had compassion on the individuals that were placed in his path. And he did something about it. Like a sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37, he said to his disciples, and he's saying to us today, the harvest is greater than the workers. What God wants to do in Eunice, Louisiana, and in the surrounding areas is bigger than who God has available to do it currently. It will not be accomplished until we recognize as a church, as a body, as the hands and the feet of Jesus himself that the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Let me ask you this today. Are you a bridge or a barrier? Are you an excuse are you an example for someone getting to know Jesus? For Jesus being able to use you to influence the people that he's put in your path. See, Jesus called his disciples to a dangerous and yet exciting gospel. He called his disciples to a gospel of infiltration. Today, just as I spoke of earlier, 
We are more about isolating ourselves in church services than we are infiltrating with servanthood into the community in which we've been placed. And God said, enough is enough. I'm about to come back. There's a stirring in the heavens that's coming back for the bride. And when I come back, yeah, I'm going to take you up, but there's going to be people that you could have impacted and infiltrated with the life-giving words of the gospel that are going to be left here. But if you do your job, they will hold your hand all the way into eternity. They will say, thank you. It's because of you and your example, your willingness to obey and minister that we are here. But are we willing to lay down our dignity for the sake of the gospel? See, going to all the world, as the Great Commission tells us to do, begins with going across the street. If you're not willing to go to your neighbor, then why would God send you to Nicaragua? If you're not willing to win your home, then how will you ever win your office? James 4, 17 says, remember, it's sin. It's sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It is a sin to pat yourself on the back for achieving or, or abiding in the great commandment and not achieving the great commission because they are equal. The conviction that we have to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the great commandment, should be the same conviction that we have to accomplish and achieve the great commission to go and make disciples, to teach people and walk with them through this life so that they can go to the places that we've already been instead of casting judgment on the fact that they have not. We can't expect that of them. As the church, we can win the world. As the church, we can win the world. But as individuals, we must focus on winning our world. Number three, final point this morning. You are the someone. It's you. You are the one that He is relentless after. You are the one that is the purpose of His coming, of His giving, of His servanthood. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 3, jump to verse 4. This is what Jesus says. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost... Oh, pastor, we've heard that before. Okay, then do something about it. If he has a hundred sheep, don't hear this story again and not be convicted to do something about it today. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that he lost until he finds it? He's not going to stop. He's not going to be satisfied and say, good job, you, for being a really good example, for getting your life together. Good job, you. You're going to heaven. Great job. No. He's going to search with every fiber of his being until he finds the one, the someone. And when he has found the someone, he will joyfully carry 
them home on his shoulders. Verse 6, when he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors. It's what I try to do every Sunday. Now come on and for real, at the end of every message, I say, look, now stand up and let's celebrate with heaven. And this is what we do. Look, I told you I couldn't stay in the chair. We go, oh, thank God he's over. And I've got like eight people that just received Jesus for the first time, y'all. That just rededicated their hearts to the Lord when they've been drifting and straying. But we've got so used to hearing the words of God that they're not as impactful as they used to be. Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep in the same way. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and have never strayed. We don't pat ourselves on the back for our righteousness. We pull together and we run after the one, the someone. Let me give you a modern example. And I have three kids, two girls, one boy. If I lost one of them, I'm not like, oh, well, got two more. He'll come back when he gets hungry. Yes. And God's not doing that. Listen, God's not doing that to you. If I'm missing a child, it doesn't matter what I was doing. I was at the office one day. I was pulled in the parking lot and my wife called me. And she's frantic. I was on the phone with somebody in this sanctuary. They'll remember this story. And she said, Emery's seizing up and she's not breathing. She's turning blue. Ah. I was in my truck. I threw my truck into reverse. And y'all, I left dust in Eunice. And I prayed in the Spirit all the way across the town. And it may have been because I'm a little bit dramatic by nature. But she's not. And when she's upset, man, that just, that strikes a chord with me that something is significantly wrong. And I'm praying and crying. I'm praying in the spirit. I'm driving like a bat out of heaven. And I get over there. I'm, I'm begging God, but God, please don't take my baby. I wasn't like on the way over there going, God, I got two more, man. Do what you, get to do. Do what you need to do, man. <laughs> It'll work out. Listen, God's not doing that right now. He's not like, oh, well, we had 400 this week. Praise me. <laughs> He's worried about the one. His concern is for the one that has strained. His concern is for the one that used to come and no longer does. His concern is for the one that's sitting in the room right now that forgot about him or thinks that he forgot about them. His concern is for you. Everything that he did is for you. The Father feels the same way about you, the one that feels lost, that doesn't have good direction and purpose, that doesn't know where he stands in relationship or she stands in relationship with the Father. The same way that I felt about my little girl that I thought was dying, the Father in heaven today feels about you if you're not in his will and you haven't received his salvation. You're the one. You are the someone that he is looking for. You are the reason that Jesus stayed on the cross.
You're the reason that he didn't call heaven down to take him down. You're the reason that he came, that he lived, that he died, that he ascended into the pit of hell, took back the keys of life, went into the holy of holies, not created by the hands of men, came back down for 40 days and revealed himself to 500 people just to go back up and sit down at the right hand of the Father and intercess on our behalf and say, Lo, I am with you always. You are the one that he is coming back for. You are the one that will cause him to not be able to keep his seat. He's got to stand up. There's something stirring on the inside of him. And the something is you. He's coming back. And he's coming back for you. That's why we have staff. That's why we build dream teams. Have people in the parking lot. A hundred people serving in children's ministry. It's why we add services. Whether we need them or not, we're just going to believe that we do. It's why we have small groups and we develop and more. It's why we do what we do. It's for you. You are some one. You represent a sphere of victory for families, for those who have strayed and are hurting. You are. It's you. Jesus, help us right now to hear from you and to know that it's your voice that's speaking. God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room right now that doesn't know you, that has never received salvation or has been drifting away from your will for their lives, that they would be convicted and compelled, even encouraged and motivated right now to turn to you, to make the decision today, receive your salvation, to be born again, If you're in the room right now and this last piece that you are the someone, you are the one that has not been in God's will, you are the one that has not received salvation or has not been following Jesus. If that's you and today you want to ask for forgiveness and you want to confess Jesus as Lord, receive his salvation and begin to share in the surplus. If that's you this morning, would you just lift your hand right where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. I want that. I need to commit or recommit my life to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Don't be ashamed. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you. Anybody else? Pastor, that's me. All right, church, look at me. That means... that you are. So my question to you today is, where are the ones that are not? Why are we satisfied with coming to a service without people who needed to hear this message? Why are we satisfied with coming and hearing the same gospel over and over and over again and not being convicted and compelled and challenged 
to make sure that the people or the person, the someone that we know that needs to hear is not here with us. Today, I want to challenge you. Don't be satisfied. You represent some one, W-O-N. Right where you are today, I know you can think of one person. Maybe you can think of many. Well, Pastor, I've invited them. Do it again. Pastor, I've tried to bring them. Go get them. Share your story. Don't stop. Don't quit. And don't be satisfied. Would you pray this prayer with me all across the room? And for those that raised their hands to receive salvation, just say this prayer out loud with me. Jesus, forgive me for falling short. Forgive me for sin. The sin that I commit and the things I'm supposed to do that I do not. Save me. Take my life and make it yours. Use me for your kingdom. May I follow you with all of my heart and show it by serving others. In Jesus' name. Come on, church, would you stand all over the room? Can we celebrate with heaven for the three that raised their hand, that came back to Jesus today, that received salvation, that are gonna walk out of here in confidence in who they are in Christ? Listen to me, whether you raised your hand or you did not raise your hand, if you prayed that prayer in faith believing, we believe with you that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you need to walk out of this room confident in the journey that you either just began or that you re-began. We believe in you. Would you do us a favor? Would you bring somebody with you either next Saturday or Sunday? Would you invite them to Easter? I'm excited about what God's given us to share at Easter. Our staff is like Red Bull pumped for what's gonna happen next weekend, and we want you to be as well. Invite somebody with you. Bring them to church. If you haven't signed up for the marriage conference, do it on the way out. If you've made a decision today, then let us know. Find a way to let us know. You can do it with a connect card. You can message us. You can do whatever you need to do. But do it. If you will, just open your hands like I'm handing you a present. Let me pray over you. We'll get out of here today. Jesus, I love you. And I thank you for your word and that it does not return unto you void, but that it would penetrate our heart and divide even soul and spirit, come alive inside of us and burn in our bones for us to make a difference. Would you bless us and keep us and make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us? Would you lift up your countenance upon your people and give us peace? Anoint us to accomplish your will and to walk in your ways. And Holy Spirit, empower us to be an example and not an excuse. And help us to serve in the surplus of salvation that's inside of us so it grows stronger and not stagnant. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. Listen, meet somebody that you don't know before you leave here today. We'll see you soon.